This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include an answer to a listener's question about the threat of AI in creating self-modifying malware. Microsoft announces that their version of AI will be included in most of its Office products. And we have a discussion about the security of passkeys, the login technology that could replace the need for virtually all of your passwords. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We want to start with some listener feedback. Right. This listener, Brock, asks, I was listening to one of the old episodes. You guys were discussing AI technology like ChatGPT. And he says, do you think that in the future that AI can or will be incorporated into malware so that it will be able to automatically adapt to patches and antivirus software, et cetera, and look for further vulnerabilities that it might be able to exploit, those kind of things? I wanted to address this because this is a, a question that I'm sure a lot of people are kind of wondering, especially since we've recently talked about how ChatGPT can be used by a user of that software to ask it to write code for you that you can then modify or adapt for other platforms. So what he's describing here is actually something that's been around since 1990, and this is polymorphic malware. This is malware that can modify itself and adapt and change itself on the fly with the intention of being less easily detectable through standard antivirus signatures. Polymorphic malware is actually not something new. The idea of actually using something like artificial intelligence built into it to modify itself, maybe that could be an improvement on this existing idea of polymorphic malware. But as far as using actual chat GPT, first of all, the malware would have to have an internet connection. It would have to know the prompts that it would need to give chat GPT. It would have to be using the chat GPT API, their application programming interface. And I think if malware were known to be using that API, they would probably shut down access to whatever was using that particular API key. You know, the developer that was accessing ChatGPT for that purpose, I think that the the company behind ChatGPT, OpenAI, would probably come to realize somebody's using this for malware, we should shut down their access to it. But Josh, you missed the latest announcement. It was just yesterday or today that GitHub announced GitHub Copilot. Remember that word Copilot? We're going to talk about it later. They say, trained on billions of lines of code, GitHub Copilot turns natural language prompts into coding suggestions across dozens of languages. Now, these are coding suggestions, autocomplete coding suggestions, but it can also just create boilerplate and repetitive code patterns, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're well beyond just what ChatGPT can do. And these options are going to exist if someone has a GitHub account and the malware connects to it. And I'm sure there's some way that they can get the information down. I would say that all of this is happening so quickly in the past few months with AI. I wouldn't be surprised if this happens soon in the future. Yeah. So self-modifying code actually already has existed for decades at this point. Will that improve with all these new AI technologies? Yes, probably. Is there a lot of malware that's currently doing this? No, not really. But like like we said, it is probably a matter of time before this technology will 
will start improving and will start being built into malware. So that's a great question, Brock. Thanks for asking that. So I told you to remember the word copilot. This is Microsoft's word for their open AI based GPT based large language model. We can't even call this chat GPT anymore. Let's just call it AI stuff, right? Open AI. And they're going to roll AI into all of the office applications and copilot is going to be like a sidebar in the different applications. And in each one, it's going to do different things. In Word, it'll summarize, check grammar, make an outline. In Excel, it can make charts. In Outlook, it can make an email. Maybe in Word, it can take an Excel spreadsheet and write a report and send emails. And, and it's going to really change a lot of things because all of these tasks are repetitive. They don't require a lot of thinking. I want to put an asterisk there because I asked ChatGPT earlier today in Bing, which is heavier, a kilogram of steel or a liter of water. Now, if you're not using the metric system, you don't know that a liter of water is defined as one kilogram at sea level. And it told me that the steel was 0.13 liters. It didn't understand the question, so it gave this whole complicated response, and the answer was very wrong. But once these things have generated, like... Microsoft was very clear in their presentation, these are first drafts. You don't go into Word, say, write a report, and then ship it. You need, and I don't remember who said it, an AI Sherpa, someone who's an editor who knows enough about the way AI replies, who knows enough about the subject at hand. If you're doing a financial report based on an Excel spreadsheet, you can't have an intern checking it. It's got to be someone who knows numbers. So these are all first drafts today, but I think these are going to be widely used. Yeah, the AI technology is vastly improving and, and at a rapid pace. Actually, on March 14th, OpenAI, the company that makes ChatGPT, talked about this new technology, this new version, really, of the technology that they're starting to roll out called GPT-4. GPT-4 is the next iteration. ChatGPT currently is based on GPT-3.5, just for reference. And they talked about a lot of the new technologies and new improvements to this te existing technology. As far as its ability to pass the bar exam, for example, the current version that's in ChatGPT was able to pass it with a barely passing score, kind of in the bottom 10th percentile. Now they're in the 90th percentile with GPT-4 technology. So they've gotten much better at understanding certain types of questions and being able to answer them more correctly. Eventually, this is going to start being rolled out into the standard standard chat GPT that everybody has access to. And of course, that means that Microsoft and other companies will also be adopting this technology as well, this new version of it. Now, I wanted to say one thing that I found really impressive with Microsoft's presentation, and they really emphasized a lot that this is Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, which we just mentioned is, is now going to be available for free on the Mac and Microsoft Teams. So there's different ways that Microsoft 365 Copilot is going to be used in all of these different apps. But one of the things that I thought was really impressive was they showed how you could take raw data in Excel, for example, and you could ask Copilot to create a chart for you that shows a particular type of information. All you have to do is give it that prompt and it will create the chart 
chart for you. It figures out what data it needs to select and, and what way to present it based on the prompt that you give it. And it does this in a matter of seconds. For somebody who, you know, kind of generally knows what it is that they want the outcome to look like, but doesn't know the nitty gritty of how do I properly select data in, in the table and how do I choose what chart to convert it into, this will just do it for you. And that's almost magical, right? <laughs> magical is a term that Apple uses a lot, but uh, we're getting to that point where this is really impressive technology. If you want to understand more about this, I'm going to link to an article on Bill Gates's website, The Age of AI Has Begun. He starts by saying, in my lifetime, I've seen two demonstrations of technology that struck me as revolutionary. The first was in 1980 when I was introduced to a graphical user interface, and he goes on to talk about that. The second surprise came last year. He had been meeting with people from OpenAI, and he gave them a challenge to train an AI to pass an advanced placement biology exam. And he said... He picked AP Bio because the test is more than a simple regurgitation of scientific facts. It asks you to think critically about biology. And when he met with them in September, GPT got 59 out of 60 questions right on the AP Bio exam. Then it wrote outstanding answers to six open-ended questions from the exam, he said, and they had an independent expert score the test, which would have been the equivalent of an A or an A+. It's a lot better than my example of ChatGPT confusing a kilogram of steel and a liter of water. But Gates goes on to explain why this is important and a lot of the applications for AI. And I think this is a really good article to read to understand where we're going in terms of AI. Other things where we're going in terms of AI, there was an article on Petapixel yesterday. It's a website for photographers. People are paying $17 for hundreds of AI-generated headshots. So you take a photo of a person of head and shoulders, you send it to them, and you get hundreds of headshots with different lighting and different backgrounds and different colors, et cetera. And this is going to put a lot of photographers out of business. Another area where this is going to have a big effect is product photography. Why go to all the trouble of setting up a product in a set when you could just take a picture of the product on a green screen and then have AI build the set behind it? Now, you could do this with Photoshop for certain things, but AI gives you an awful lot more flexibility. So we're mostly talking about text AI, generative AI, chat GPT, but we're going to see AI applications cascading through computer technology in the coming months. And this, of course, leads us to ask the question, what is Apple doing about all this? Apple's generally tied to annual product release cycles. So if they do announce anything big with generative AI, it won't be until June at the Worldwide Developers Conference. Now, Apple is the company that waits till the dust settles before they come in, but they seem to be well behind particularly OpenAI, which is a totally separate company, and Microsoft has a big stake in OpenAI. Google's been working on this for years. Maybe Apple has been doing some of this while a whole bunch of Apple people were working so hard on building the spaceship headquarters. Maybe three people were working on AI. And while all the people were working on the mythical Apple car, maybe there were two other people working on AI. Maybe we'll find out in June at the Worldwide Developer Conference. Speaking of which, Google actually just announced and started sending out emails to people who have Gmail accounts to invite them to sign up to try Bard, which is their new AI thing. So Google's got their thing. Apple's got to do something, right? I mean, we already have Siri. Siri's just stagnated for a long time. And so if Apple doesn't announce something at WWDC related to AI, or the very least, like 
significant improvements in Siri's ability to help with some things that you can ask Bing, for example, you know, Apple's going to look like it's really behind the curve at this point. Remember that ChatGPT really became available to the public in November. So by the time June rolls around, Apple has had many, many months to improve upon whatever technologies that they might be working on behind the scenes. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about passkeys, the new technology that could potentially replace passwords. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. So we want to talk about passkeys. Passkeys are the latest attempt to... To make authentication more secure, less vulnerable to hackers, and easier for users. Those are three laudable ideas, aren't they? Yeah. Remember last week we talked about how easy it is to fish somebody, even with two-factor authentication. If somebody's able to set up a man in the middle, and now there are technologies that will automate this for you, then they can get your second factor code, whether it's texted to you or whether using a time-based one-time password. Any of those things can be intercepted by a website that is in between the actual website and you, as long as there's some in-between point that's like passing the codes that you're giving it to the actual website, then two-factor authentication very often can be bypassed or worked around by phishing websites now. So this is something that uh, we've needed better technology for this for a while, and maybe passkeys is that technology. So I want to discuss how passkeys work, but first I want to talk about passwordless logins, because this is something that a number of companies offer. Microsoft has a password with authentication system. To use it, you have to download the Microsoft Authenticator app on a smartphone. I downloaded this recently because I bought an Xbox in January. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast. And every time I want to go into my account settings or I want to buy something, I've got to type my password. And I have a pretty strong password for my Microsoft account. So using this system, when I go to log into the account, it displays a two-digit number on the screen of my television that the Xbox connected to. I open up the Microsoft Authenticator app and I get a dialog, and you'll see a screenshot in the article on the Intego Mac Security blog where it shows three two-digit numbers, and I tap the correct one. The phone communicates with Microsoft server to authenticate me on the Xbox. Now, this isn't a passkey, but you don't need your password and username to log in, 
it's kind of a shortcut because the principle here is that you've authenticated on the phone and the phone is a trusted device. The same way we've talked about Apple's chain of trust from one device to another. The phone is a trusted device and you're proving that you are who you are and therefore that trust is being passed on to the other device. Right. And so this this gives you three options. As you mentioned, there are only two digits. So that seems like it might be insecure. But the whole idea is if you get one of these prompts and you're not expecting to, then that may mean that somebody is trying to log in as you on some other device. And you do have another option, which, of course, is deny. So you can shut that down if it seems like, you know, something fishy is going on here. Somebody might be trying to access my account. Yeah. So pass keys are the next step. Now, in one article I was looking at, they showed a chart with a continuum from simple passwords, passwords with two-factor authentication, pass keys, and hardware security keys. And they put them at equal distances, but in the article they said the one with the pass key should be right behind the security keys. It should be very far from two-factor authentication for the reason you mentioned when we started talking about this, that there can be man-in-the-middle attacks. Google defines a passkey as a digital credential tied to a user account and a website or application. Now, what I find interesting is when you log into a site or a service with a passkey, you're not entering a username and a passkey. All of that is combined in the passkey. It's just one mush of, it's a cryptographic key. We, we don't know how long they are. That's probably hundreds of bits long, hundreds of characters. And it contains everything a website needs to know for you to access your account. Apple says that rather than having a typeable word or string, unique cryptographic key pairs are generated for every account. Now, here we get into public key cryptography, which requires a master's degree in computer science to understand. Can you very briefly explain how this works, public key and private key? Okay, well, the basic idea behind this is that you have a key pair and the key that you're using to encrypt something for somebody else that they can decrypt, you need their public key. A public key is something that can be shared with other people and they use the public key to encrypt something to send it to you and only you with the private key can decrypt that thing. So pass keys are really interesting. Now, we're used to passwords and usernames, and we're used to the fact that we can use the same password on multiple websites, which is a bad thing to do. We're used to the fact that we use our passwords on all our devices. Pass keys are really useful because they're not limited to a single device. They can be backed up and synced, transferred to new devices. They're end-to-end -end encrypted. When you set up a pass key on an Apple device, it goes into your iCloud keychain. I want to discuss this later when I talk about setting up a passkey on eBay because this didn't always work correctly. Theoretically, you should be able to sync to all your devices. And as soon as you go to sign into a site or service with another device, it should work automatically. We, we have some problems with implementation of passkeys. Before the show, we were talking about chickens and eggs. And we've got the chicken, which is the passkey technology, but we don't have the eggs, a lot of websites that are using passkeys. What really makes this interesting, though, is that Apple, Google, and Microsoft have all signed up to the FIDO Alliance. This is a group that set the standards for hardware security keys that we've talked about in the past. If you sign into a website on your iPhone, you can then go to a Windows computer using a web browser and sign into the same website using the passkey stored on your iPhone. You'll get a QR code that your phone scans and that it then uses a protocol called Client Authenticator Protocol 2 to communicate with the other device and transfer the authentication from your phone to the device you're logging into. This is really good because let's say you use Macs and Android phones. 
you would have the problem of no iCloud keychain being available on Android. But here, this solves the problem that you can go from device to device and platform to platform. I didn't look into whether Linux supports this, but I would be surprised if it didn't because Unix, various forms of Unix are definitely going to have to support this. This might sound a bit complicated, but I think once you've gone through this process once or twice, you'll, you'll see how relatively easy it is. Given that it's easy to sign into a site using passkey technology. Now, like you said, we're, we're just waiting for the egg, right? We're waiting for all these other websites to start supporting it. There are a handful of sites, and it's a pretty small list at this point. Uh, you mentioned in your article that eBay is one of those sites. Uh, PayPal is another one of these sites. But only in the U.S., but only in the U.S., right? Yep. And that's another thing, too. And there's a handful of other sites. There's not very many at this point. And that's one thing that I think people might find a bit frustrating is, well, that's, this sounds great. I want to adopt passkeys, but the website that you're trying to authenticate to has to actually adopt passkeys technology and allow you to use that to sign into their site. So in this article, I walk through setting up a passkey on eBay because it's important to see how this works on a Mac, and it's the same on the iPhone and the iPad. When you go to eBay, you see a dialogue tired of passwords. Depending on your device, you can sign in with your fingerprint, face, or PIN. There's nothing that talks about passkeys there. So if you don't know what's going to happen, you might be a little unsure of it. Now, if you click Turn On, Safari displays a dialogue, and it says, do you want to save a passkey for your name. Passkeys are saved in your iCloud keychain and are available for sign-in on all your devices. And from this point on, it's the same process as when you're using the iCloud keychain with a saved password. When you're using a password manager, it's an autofill. When you go back to eBay afterwards, you see a sign-in dialogue and you click it. And then Safari says, do you want to sign into eBay with your saved passkey? So the actual user experience is very similar to the current autofill password with a password manager or iCloud keychain. And this is something I think will not hinder adoption. If anything, it'll make people confident. It's something they're familiar with. They don't have to jump through hoops. Right. And the specific way that you authenticate then at that point, once this passkey is saved in your iCloud account, then on your Mac, you would use Touch ID if you've got Touch ID built into your Mac, or you would use Face ID or Touch ID, depending on which you have on your particular model of iPhone to log into that site. So I've included a screenshot of the password tab of Safari settings to show you what a passkey looks like. Now, when you look at passwords in the password settings, you'll be able to actually view a password, right? You can see the little bullets and then you can right click reveal. Here, you don't see anything. You just see the username, the website, and the date it was created. So created today. If you click on the edit button, still can't see the passkey because you wouldn't understand. It's this long alphanumeric string of characters that makes no sense. Now, one problem I had with eBay is when I signed in on one device and I went to sign in on another device, it didn't offer to let me sign in with the passkey. And I think this is an early adoption thing that any site that allows you to sign in with a passkey today is still going to keep your username and password as an alternate sign-in method. So as long as they're not considering your account can only sign in with a passkey, you may not see this. Now, you can create another passkey on another device. It doesn't matter because it's still doing that from your account. So in some ways, you can have six different passkeys on six different devices, but they still go to your account. And that's interesting because we're used to thinking of passwords 
and username pairs as mm. unique, whereas here they can be different. The idea behind this, I, I guess, is that so if you are logging in from multiple devices, it, it makes it easier now that other device, if that's a trusted device, you can have a passkey associated with that particular device. That way you don't have to pull out your iPhone, for example, every single time you want to log into a particular site with a passkey. Right. So there are both advantages and disadvantages of passkeys. As I said earlier, the process is similar to what we're doing with password managers. So there's no hurdle there. You don't have any more password requirements, minimum of eight characters, maximum of 14, using one capital letter, one digit, and one special character. I don't know how many times I've had one password generate passwords that just weren't accepted by websites. It's too long. You don't have a special character or you don't have a digit and all that. So this is good. You, you don't have any kind of requirement. You don't have to remember any passwords. Now, we'll never be totally password free unless they come up with really, really good biometrics. You still need to know the one for your Apple ID, your iCloud account. You're still going to need to remember your Google and Microsoft passwords. The password you log into your computer, your smartphone's passcode, but you won't need to know any other passwords. In fact, they just won't exist. And that that's the conceptual thing that's hard to understand. There is no more passcode. There is just these public keys and private keys that kind of work the same way, but don't. And they all work behind the scenes so that you don't have to know about public and private keys. Like you don't have to have the knowledge in your head about how all that kind of stuff works. It just works. That's the idea. And so uh, we're getting closer to that point. We're not quite there yet, but some of the technology is in place that we can move in this direction. And now it, it's just a matter of waiting for more websites to adopt this technology. One of the best things about passkeys is that they will eliminate phishing. And there's a very simple reason. When you go to a website, it's going to say, log in, right? You click a button. And if that website hasn't identified itself with the certificate of that website, your passkey is going to say, I don't know, this isn't my website. So even if the website looks like Apple or Microsoft or Google or whatever, you simply cannot enter the data. You can't go searching in your passwords and copy a passkey to enter on a website. There has to be this recognition via a certificate before that data can be sent. Right. So that's really the main advantage of this is, uh, as we mentioned, it's, this is better than any existing two-factor authentication because theoretically, at least, there, we don't know of any way as of this point in time where somebody could circumvent this technology and trick you into logging into a phishing site where you're actually required to use passkeys. Now, again, like Kirk said, a, a lot of websites right now are still only giving passkeys as an option because it's a new technology and they want to make sure that you don't ever permanently get locked out of your account. They are still giving you the backup way of using your username and password. And so as long as that still exists, I guess there is still the possibility of getting fished. But if we get to the point where everybody's using passkeys across the board and it's just a standard that everybody has adopted, then we could actually get to the point where they disable username and password logins. Now passkeys are everywhere and that significantly reduces the ability for a website to fish you. Now, one of the problems is if you lose access to your passkeys, websites using passkeys don't have a link, I forgot my password, because there's no password anymore. So if you've lost access to, let's say you get locked out of your iCloud account or your Google or Windows account and you don't have them, and this is a real issue. Some password managers like 1Password and Dashlane have announced they're going to support passkeys. 
I didn't really see what Dashlane's doing, but 1Password has a video on their website where they're saying, we really want to support this. This shouldn't be in a silo, a platform silo, which is what it is. I would be more comfortable if I can have my pass keys in another app that doesn't depend on a company that could lock me out of the account. And sometimes you can get locked out of your iCloud account because someone's tried to get in, right? After three attempts, they might lock the account. And then you have no more access to any of your accounts because, well, there's no, I forgot my password link. The final thing that's going to slow down the adoption of passkeys is that this poses a problem for businesses who need to manage access for sites and services for employees. So when you're an IT administrator in a company, you issue usernames and passwords to your employees and you manage them and you maybe change them regularly and you verify the security. Well, since the pass keys are based on individuals' devices, you have no control over them. Even if you're controlling iPhones with an MDM app, you don't control the pass keys. And it's a lot more difficult to give specific rights to users and to revoke pass keys when you need to. I, I've read that a number of companies are trying to find solutions to this. I'm sure they'll figure it out. I think we're a few years away, but I think we're going to start seeing more websites offering pass keys. If you want to try it out, most everyone probably has an eBay account. You could sign up with that. If you're in the U.S., try PayPal. Otherwise, you know, pay attention. When you see a website that offers a pass key, maybe you'll try it out. When you go to log in to certain websites in Safari, you may see a dialogue from Safari that this website offers pass keys. Do you want to try it out? I, I think it's definitely worth trying. It's good to get started using this technology because it's very likely that more websites are going to start adopting this very soon, especially considering that all the major operating systems are now supporting pass keys. So uh, give it a try. See if you like it. And if you don't, well, get used to it because it's probably going to be the standard going forward. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>